Kohler Smart Toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness, sculptural forms, intuitive technology, and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing, heated seats, and warm air dryers. For peace of mind and convenience, there are touchless lids, seats, flush, and a self-sanitizing bidet wand. Now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com slash smart toilets and discover what you've been missing. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Expectations matter. What do you expect from an SUV? Versatility? A range of sizes built to fit your life? A range of exteriors that all invite stairs? or being able to take control of more than just the wheel. Expectations matter, but exceeding them matters more. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a Remax agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. John, how is everything going with you today? Uh, you know what? Things are going pretty well. Uh, home opener for the Twins actually got moved to tomorrow. Uh, because of inclement weather, which I don't know what that means because it was 40 degrees and sunny all day today. You know, great Minnesota spring weather. 
uh, couldn't complain. <laughs> but um, no, it's been going well. I think I'm it's glad that we've got a week of baseball kind of finished up with. We kind of know what's what's happening with the season. Um, and at the same time, we have no idea what's happening with the season. Yeah. What's crazy is the Mets home opener also got pushed back for the same reason. It was the same weather as well. It was sunny and beautiful out. I don't know why <laughs> there was no home opener. I'm yeah. pretty shocked. I think it's just because we got swept by the Brewers and we need some downtime oh, to relax. Yeah. They yep, saw that yeah, it but... might drop rain at some point in the day, and they said, nope, just push it back a day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yep, exactly. Got to basically take like a – you know, just a, just a rest day, just to, you know, recover and, and get everything set and then, you know, come out of the home opener and and uh, with all guns blazing. Yeah, hopefully turn everything around. I'm going to the game. So this is going to be out on Saturday. We're recording this on Thursday. So technically, I already went to the game, but as of right now, I'm not at the game yet. But I can't believe the Mets won with the score of that to that. It was wild. Yeah, wow. So crazy game. Yeah, crazy game. I'm so happy I was there. I, I genuinely can't wait to go, though. I'm super excited. It's a tradition with my dad and I to go every opening day and very excited about that. And I'm just excited that fantasy baseball is back in full swing, man. All my leagues are going. I'm pulling my hair out already in my home league, which is a head to head 10 team league. It's keepers. I'm like tying at the moment in my TGFBI. I'm in fourth place in my other 12 team league. I'm in last place in a 15 team league. I'm in like 14th. It's just all over the place at the moment. And I'm just scratching my head, but hopefully the season is good. We can't really over exaggerate after a week of games, but how are you doing in your leagues? Uh, Honestly, I think I have, I mean, I might be in too many. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I might be in too many of too many platforms. Like I'm, a, I'm on. I have ESPN. I have ESPN league. That's my home league. I've got one Yahoo league. Actually, no, I got two Yahoo leagues technically, um, and two Fantrax leagues and two NFC teams. And I'm just like, I'm just so glad. Like four of these are weekly. Or else yeah. I would just go crazy with trying to figure out like who's starting. And one of them isn't even a weekly, it's a best ball. So I really just don't oh, okay. care about that one at all. I just, you know, hey, let, let's see what happens. But yeah. um, since you were talking about TGFBI, I'm, I'm currently 11th and I'm 376th. So nice. nice. I am not doing that hot. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. I, I missed out on a couple free agents because. I really try to learn how kind of fab works and how people value things in in a 15-team deep league like uh, TGFBI is, you know, brand new learning curve for me. So excited to at least learn more, uh, but I don't expect to do very well <laughs> this year at TGFBI. Yeah, so just to give you a fair warning, I was in TGFBI last season, I think, out of the gate, like the first month, I was in the top 50 overall for like a long time. I ended mm-hmm. up finishing in like 180th. So don't get too upset about being really deep at the moment because anything can change at the drop of a dime. So you can come back in and I believe in it. And yeah, the fab budget is so weird. You know, I've been playing in fab leagues for six, seven years now, and I'm still getting used to it myself because every league is different. It's always a feel sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Like you don't know what people are going to bid because it's just a random made up number. It's not like there's a guide out there saying, oh yeah, you should spend $50 out of a thousand on James Outman. Like there's no set way to do it and people will just bid like $300 on someone for no reason or $5 will be the max bid and you bid 85 on them and you're like wait what just happened like I yeah. just wasted so much money it's it really is an enigma it's hard to gauge yeah I mean speaking of fab so 
I had this conversation in the uh, fantasy help channel on on the Discord, but I'd I'd like to hear your your opinion on it as well. Yeah, so, absolutely. So in my home league, it's uh this year it's a ten team league. Uh, we do OBP, uh, slugging, and net steals. It's kind of the weird things that we do. Okay. Uh, but besides that, it's still you know runs, RBIs, and homers. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez got dropped in this oh, league. Okay. And this was before he had the two homer game, right? Okay. So he had gone like one for. 18 i think or something like that like it was bad yeah how much fab would you have spent like percentage wise on teoscar hernandez in a 10 team obp slugging net steals league what is the budget 100 or a thousand a hundred okay uh, sorry it's second okay so it's 150 but we get zero dollar pickups okay okay yeah i probably would have spent Fifty dollars of my budget, so probably roughly like thirty-three to thirty-five percent of my budget on Teoscar. Mm-hmm. Maybe more to be honest, but probably that like thirty to fifty percent. Yeah, I so I put up sixty-two dollars because I figured after the two home run game. Yeah, you know maybe that that increases the price, and I really wanted to get Teoscar. Yeah, next highest bid sixteen bucks. No way. Yeah. Yeah. See, I don't know how good he is in net steals and stuff because I don't play in that sort of league. Well, the irony is that he doesn't steal that much. So right. Yeah. It doesn't hurt you too much. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I definitely think that's wild. I think that what you spent on him is what I would have bid on him as well. Yeah. Because I'm very high on Teoscar. And if mm-hmm. an owner dropped we're, him, we're I would have. very high on Teoscar. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I'm surprised yeah. that the second highest bid was $16. Yeah. It was. It's just one of those. It's just one of those things with home leagues, that is a little bit different uh, when you play with people who like, you know, you know, they enjoy fantasy baseball. I, I, this is not slanting home leagues at all. I mean, I really enjoy right. my home league, but it, it's interesting playing in my home league and then contrasting it to the other fantasy leagues that I am that are like yeah. you know, industry leagues or leagues made up of people that are part of the pitcherless community, things like that, where people just maybe take things a little bit more seriously on a day to day basis. And then just, yeah, dealing with stuff where, like, yeah, I outbid the next guy, like, 40 bucks on Teoscar Hernandez. Yeah. I just feel like, "Mm, that that feels kind of wrong. Yeah, that's wild. That really is crazy. And, hey, home leagues are amazing. Every analyst that you listen to all play in home leagues. They all play in a home league where their league is just like that, where one of their friends will drop Teoscar Hernandez week one. Meanwhile, they know that in TGFBI, if that ever happened, someone would dump their entire budget to grab him. So, right, it's... All and, systematic, and everyone plays in different formats in different leagues. Yeah, and most of these analysts aren't winning every single year either. Yeah, you know, no, that's for sure. That, that fun, random, like, you can be really good, or you can be, you know, really middle of the pack. Sometimes you know your stuff, and you're still last. So, yeah, that, that's fantasy baseball. Yep, that is a fact. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you could follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. But let's get into the MLB news since the last podcast. We'll start things off with Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles. He was called up from AAA and started on Wednesday, April 5th against the Rangers. He went five innings pitched, two earned runs, four hits, one walk, and five strikeouts. He had a 28% CSW, so pretty good. But congratulations on your debut, Grayson Rodriguez. 
MLB's top pitching prospect. Really cool to see him out there on the mound and shining for the new-look Orioles. Omar Narvaez of the Mets is expected to miss 8-9 to nine weeks with a high-grade strain of his left calf. As a result, top prospect Francisco Alvarez of the Mets was called up from AAA on Friday, April 7th. Excited to see him. He should be making his 2023 debut on Friday, opening day. Justin Verlander of the Mets has been cleared to continue throwing after follow-up imaging on Wednesday showed reduced inflammation in his shoulder. That's always good news to see. He had that major terrace strain. O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates collided with Rafael Devers at third base during Wednesday's game. Cruz slid headfirst into the bag and Devers was going back to the base and ended up awkwardly kicking Cruz in the head. He stayed in the game and scored a run, but after the inning ended, he was taken out. More information should be provided soon, but it doesn't seem to be too serious. Just keep an eye out on O'Neill Cruz. Max Fried of the Braves was officially placed on the 15-day IL with a left hamstring strain. The timeline for Fried is still mid-April at the moment. Rizella Iglesias of the Braves has yet to begin throwing since being placed on the IL with right shoulder inflammation. Kyle Wright of the Braves got rocked for five runs and seven hits in a six-inning start at AAA. He looks to be on track to get activated from the injured list when first eligible, potentially joining the Atlanta rotation April 11th for a home start against the Reds. Eloy Jimenez of the White Sox was placed on the 10-day IL, retroactive to April 4th with a low-grade left hamstring strain. The White Sox anticipate him missing two to three weeks, but I think that's going to be a little bit more. Same story for Jimenez, who just can't seem to stay healthy. It's really a shame. He's just a big dude that just can't stay healthy. Some great news here. Liam Hendricks of the White Sox finished his final round of chemotherapy and rang the bell on the way out of the hospital. He's been battling with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and should hopefully be healthy and in the clear soon. There's no timetable for his return quite yet, but there should be an update on that in the coming weeks. However, his return to baseball isn't as important as the fact that he's healthy. Jazz Chisholm of the Marlins left Wednesday's game after sliding into second base and apparently injuring his arm. It was later said that Chisholm suffered a stinger in his right shoulder, whatever that means. We're not too sure on his status yet, but keep an eye out to see if he's okay or put on the IL. Kenta Maeda of the Twins was removed from his start on Tuesday, April 4th against the Marlins with fatigue. Initially, there was some worry due to Maeda shaking his arm at some points and then being removed from the game by trainers, but apparently it was just fatigue, so... Hopefully, all things are okay. Miguel Vargas of the Dodgers is dealing with soreness in his right thumb as well as a left groin injury. He's not on the injured list, but keep an eye out for that. Lars Nupar of the Cardinals might not need a minor league rehab assignment when he returns from the injured list. He was placed on the 10-day IL with a jammed left thumb. Nupar is eligible to return on April 10th. Bryce Harper of the Phillies took some batting practice on Thursday. His timeline hasn't changed yet and is projected to return sometime in June. He hasn't been placed on the 60-day IL, so the hope is that he might be able to return earlier than that, but I'd still pencil him in for June. Robbie Ray of the Mariners was placed on the 15-day IL with a grade 1 left flexor strain last Saturday. He'll be shut down for two weeks before he's reevaluated. The best-case scenario for Ray is that he returns the rotation in five to six weeks, but I wouldn't bank on that either. And last but certainly weird, Anthony Rendon of the Angels was suspended for five games due to an altercation with an Oakland Athletics fan in the crowd. Rendon grabbed this fan by the shirt and was saying that this particular fan was calling him a B-word all game and then attempted to hit him. It was like a playful swipe almost that he just didn't connect with. It didn't look like a punch or anything. 
But there was a video of it all. It was on Twitter. It was really strange. Rendon appealed the suspension, and it's now down to four games. He also publicly apologized and said, I let my emotions get the best of me. No duh, Anthony Rendon. But John, anything to add about the MLB news from this last week? Yeah, uh, the Grayson Rodriguez start was actually kind of interesting because he gave up those two runs early in the first inning. Uh, but then he kind of calmed down and it, it worked out for him for the next four innings. So, you know, a, a good start overall uh, was it you know, like any amazing debut. But overall, like, um, it, I think the Orioles are happy that they have him available, even though it was as a result of a Kyle Bradish injury that he started. Um, so, you know, hopefully this is the start to another uh, long and, and, and great career for Grayson. He clearly has the talent, too. Uh, so excited to see how that ends up. Uh, I'm curious about Francisco Alvarez uh, because he is essentially slotting him as the starting catcher. Um, you know, what do you think is his, you know, if you're going to give a projection for Alvarez, what would you say he's able to do over the next two, three months? Yeah, this is a hard one because he wasn't doing too well in the minors and mm -hmm. he had a short stint in the majors last season and he hit a home run and looked okay, but he still didn't look all the way there. I really don't know what to expect out of him. Obviously, that's a cop out because what am I supposed to say there? But right. to be fair, I think he can be someone that in a two catcher league, he should definitely be rostered. Mm -hmm. So if you are in one of those leagues that has two catchers, like a 15 teamer like TGFBI is... I would say Alvarez is a good bet. I think right now he only has util eligibility, so he'll have to wait, depending on what platform you're on, that many games to get eligibility a catcher. But he should be the starting catcher for the most part. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to get consistent playing time, and I think that's the most important thing. If he does get consistent playing time, and let's just say he plays a full season, I think he could hit 15 home runs, maybe 20. Like He has the upside to be a Mike Piazza type, right? Like a 25 to 35 home run catcher. I don't think mm -hmm. that's going to happen this season. I'm just trying to be realistic here. Right. I'm hoping he hits 15 to 20 homers. If he does, that's fantastic. If he hits more, that's wow. But I think he's just going to be a guy who bats 8th or ninth in this lineup. He's going to get a lot of run scored because he's going to have that top half of the order hitting after him. And if he gets on base, probably going to score some runs. Might not mm -hmm. get a lot of RBI, but yeah, I just think he's going to be like a good replacement catcher for your fantasy teams. Like he's obviously going to be someone who can be a stud at the catcher position, right. but at the moment I wouldn't put my expectations too high. Sure. Yeah. I think that's, that's helpful to know because, you know, obviously there's a lot of hype around him. He's yeah. you know, the, the number one prospect in the organization. Um, and yeah, having a guy come up. Like, not necessarily that it was planned, but there was talk about Alvarez, you know, potentially, you know, being in the big leagues this year. It's just maybe that timetable's, you know, been sped up just a little bit because of this injury. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does uh, with that whole situation. Yeah, and if he gets off to a hot start, he's someone that you must grab. Like, let me mm -hmm. be clear here. If he starts off kind of struggling and stuff, then I expect that 15 home run projection that I gave you to be true. But he mm -hmm. could come out of the gate swinging hot and hit three home runs in two games and he's a must add and probably a start in all you know, 10 team leagues at that point. So there's a lot of different scenarios that can happen with Alvarez, but keep an eye out on him. He's not someone you just got to rush and grab right now. He is a top prospect, but once again, he's a catcher, even though he's one of the best hitting catching prospects in a long time, you still got to temper your expectations just a little bit. Yeah. Well, good to know. Yeah. Well, moving on into our weekly performance recaps. Wow, the first one of the seasons feels like it's been a while since we've done these. Yeah, back uh, to the normal stretch of the podcast, right? 
I know, right? Yeah, it's, it feels good. Um, just a reminder, we, we get all this information from the Batterbox articles and the SP Roundup articles that are on Pitcherless website. Uh, definitely check those out every single day. They come out every morning, um, and they're just a really good way for you to get a recap on what happened in, in baseball last night. I know it's tough for me to kind of know what's going around all around the league um, every single day. So these articles are just really helpful to figure out who's hot, who's not. Um, and so diving right into the weekend, um, Friday through Sunday, March 31st through April 2nd, uh, we're going to start off with Miguel Vargas, who we just talked about in the news and notes section. Uh, it was kind of a funny line, actually. He went one for one with a double and then three walks. Uh, he got his first hit of the season. Um, it was almost a homer, but it, it came off the right field wall, so just missed it by that much. Um, he's shown a pretty good eye this season, 50% walk rate and a 722 OBP. Uh, it's also not just walks either. He also has a 375 average. Now, of course, small sample size. It's three hits in eight at-bats, uh, but it's still pretty impressive in his first five games this season. He does only have first base eligibility right now in most leagues, but he is getting starts at second. Um, so expect that to come around pretty soon. Um, but yeah, he's definitely worth a shot in OBP leagues, I think, for now. Um, it's it's hard to see him valuable in other leagues because he doesn't offer as much in terms of counting stats. Um, and again, it's only three hits and eight at-bats, so we don't really know what his average is going to look like. But uh, Miguel Vargas, you know, definitely uh, doing well and helping um, Dodgers fans feel maybe a little bit better about their season this year. Although, you know, I don't think they have too much to worry about. Uh, Adam Duvall of the Red Sox went four for five with a double, a triple, two home runs, three runs, and five RBI on Saturday. Uh, the first weekend of baseball is just always great as random guys just blow up for a huge day. And all of a sudden you can feel the helium just rush past you as everyone wants to get pick him up. Um, Duvall had an incredibly mediocre season in Atlanta last year, and then he joined the Red Sox this offseason, just hoping to have you know, a late career resurgence. Well, he did finish a single shy of the cycle, but I don't think anyone is really complaining about that since he did hit a walk-off homer. His slash line so far in six games is 458, 536, and 1.042 slugging. Jeez. Uh, which I can confidently say no one predicted this season. However, before you get too excited about the Adam Duvall resurgence... Uh, what am I talking about? He's one of the hottest hitters this week. If he's somehow available in your leagues, pick him up. He's 80% rostered in Yahoo. If you're lucky enough to be in one of those 20% of leagues, um, definitely pick up Duvall if you can. And then Joey Gallo for the Twins, three for four with a double, two homers, three runs, four RBIs, and a walk on Sunday. We got to see Vintage Gallo against the Royals. He had been hitless in his first two games, again, Vintage Gallo, uh, and struck out four times in six at-bats. Just, you know, just what do you expect out of him? However, he came to life on Sunday with two homers, one of them, impressively, off left-handed reliever Amir Garrett. Uh, he's batting 235 this season. He's averaging about an RBI a game so far. The K rate is still an abysmal 39%, so let's not get too excited. But batting 235 is, again, above the Mendoza line. He is averaging an RBI a game. That's pretty good. Uh, if he can replicate even 75% of his form from 2021... I'd be a very happy Twins fan, and I'm sure there would be plenty of happy fantasy managers as well. Yeah, so Miguel Vargas, I completely agree with the sentiment that in OBP leagues, he's probably a must-roster because his eye at the plate is phenomenal. There was even the point where he wasn't able to swing the bat at all in spring training for a little bit of time, but they still mm -hmm. sent him to the plate, and he drew like four walks still. So yeah. he's just an impressive hitter and has a very great eye at the plate. So OBP League scoop up Miguel Vargas. He's going to have second base eligibility, like John said. So first and second eligibility, very good position eligibilities to have. 
Adam Duvall, I'm mad that I didn't get him in more places on the wire and in fab. I should have yeah. just took the plunge. I figured it was Adam Duvall, and it's just going to go back to normal, so I'm not too mad, but he's mm-hmm. off to a great start, and Fenway was, like, built for him, so kind of upset about that. And Joey Gallo giving people a reason to still believe. I mean, I don't know how mm-hmm. much this is going to hold up, but, hey, if you get anything good out of Joey Gallo as a Twins fan, I'm sure you're happy. Yeah, I, Vargas is interesting because his walk rate in the minors has kind of been all over the place. Um, in AAA, it was you know thirteen point seven percent over under thirteen games, so definitely pretty pretty solid there. But in single A, his numbers weren't that great. You know, he had an eight point five walk percent in twenty nineteen, five point two walk percent in twenty twenty one. But yeah, apparently he's 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 really developed an eye over the past um, two seasons. So good for him. Um, and then Gallo, he's just really a guy that I would consider in roto leagues. I I have him in a head to head league. But I'm kind of on the verge of dropping him because the, just the problem is you just never know when he's going to get into one of those really long slumps, um, and when he can, uh, you know, get hot. the The walk rate isn't really there right now. His OBP is not that great, so um, we'll see how that all shakes out with him. He's a little tough to roster in head to head than I think than he is in rotos. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, moving on to pitchers, uh, Dustin May pitched seven innings with zero and runs, three hits, one walk, and four strikeouts. Uh, pretty standard night for May. Some positive takeaways was that he only gave up one walk, which was nice. Uh, he was also using the four-seamer more, which I didn't really understand until I looked at the underlying numbers a little bit on why that was a good thing. Basically, his sinker is really good at getting called strikes, but called strikes are still somewhat of... You know, not necessarily a mystery, but they're not always guarantees depending on your ump. So if you can get whiffs, it's a little bit better. And that four-seamer does get more whiffs, so that's probably why he's relying on a little bit more. Um, he was also against Arizona, so, you know, hard to say whether that's a, that's a reasoning with, you know, they're, they're more, their bats aren't that great, so maybe he's just trying to work on some stuff there. Um so yeah, he only he didn't get many whiffs, but it's hard to complain about seven shutout innings. Uh, I guess the one thing you can complain about is that it was a no decision. So um, Dodgers bats, you can complain about those. <laughs> uh, Kevin Gaussman of Toronto, uh, six innings, zero in runs, eight hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Um, man, what a Kevin Gaussman line! It was a pretty solid start, except for the really terrible whiff. Uh, this man just can't escape it. He somehow had a four twenty one BABIP that game. Uh, thanks to arrows though, he did escape with zero earned runs in a loss. Um, so yeah, he did get the loss, uh, but he's still an ace. I would not worry about Gaussman right now. And if you're listening to this podcast on Saturday, uh, which hopefully most of you are, he also did well in his start on Thursday. So, you know, nothing really to worry about here for Gaussman. Um, and then Jeffrey Springs on Sunday, uh, for the Rays went six innings, zero and runs, zero hits, one walk and 12 strikeouts. Um, yeah, just, oh my goodness, wow, right? Jeffrey Springs, he tossed six innings of no-hit ball, he had 12 strikeouts, had a ridiculous 41% CSW. The pitch separation was great, the heater was up, he had change-ups and sliders down, uh, and the change-up was especially deadly. He had nine whiffs on that one alone. As long as the Rays trust him to, you know, go six innings and he can handle, you know, more innings in a year. I remember last year was the first year that he pitched over 100 innings. Really, actually, the first year he pitched over 50 innings. Um, so if you can kind of keep that endurance, uh, I think he'll be a good addition to your fantasy teams. Yeah, so Jeffrey Springs was my must-have guy this season in most of my leagues. I think I roster him in two different leagues out of, mm-hmm. I think, five. So 
I really had to go above and beyond to get him, and I had to reach some scenarios I wasn't able to reach for him, and then he just went before I could go. But he was a guy that I targeted everywhere. I wanted all the shares of Jeffrey Springs just because he has such big upside. Obviously, the Rays are the biggest hindrance here. As long as they mm-hmm. let him pitch and go those innings and can get quality starts and whatnot, then Jeffrey Springs could be a top 20 pitcher this season. But I'm super excited. I mean, this start, obviously, you can't just say he's going to win the Cy Young off of one start, but this was right. a start that you are thrilled about. And I am particularly extremely excited about. It's just a fantastic look. I love Kevin Gosman. Obviously, this start is weird with the Babbitt being so high and the whip just being horrible. But, hey, he survives as usual. That's what Gosman does. And then May's mm-hmm. been looking really good this season. He's not getting a lot of strikeouts. He didn't get a lot of strikeouts in his start on Thursday as well, the day we're recording this, so in both of his starts. But Dustin May's been solid. His stuff looks really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The weird thing with Springs, too, is, again, right, it's the whole thing where he hasn't pitched. I'm looking at the numbers right now. His his highest innings pitched was 44 innings in 2021. Yeah, wow. Um, other than that, like, it, there was you know 20 innings in the shortened season in 2020, 32 in 2019. 32 in 2018 yeah last year he pitched 135 innings which is crazy um so we'll see if this lasts um i'm not going to discount the fact that this start was also against the tigers yeah um it, he's obviously not going to be throwing no hit ball that would be crazy to expect of course and 12 strikeouts is a lot too um but yeah he's definitely a guy who like you said could maybe end up being a top 20 pitcher by the end of the season yeah i definitely think that's going to happen i just have a lot of confidence in him. Obviously, like you said, the start was against the Tigers, and they're not very good, but still, he looks very, very impressive. Now, before we get into the rest of the week, we are going to take a quick break, so stay tuned. Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but the problem is managing your weight needs a long-term solution, and that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. 
Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, moving on to the rest of last week's performances, starting with Monday, April 3rd. For the hitter side of things, we have the daily hitting recap article from Gabe Gorlnick. We start off with Bryce Terang, who went two for three with a homer, two runs, four RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. Have a day, Bryce Terang. This was his first major league home run, and it was a grand slam in the fifth inning off of Tommy Hunter. He's someone that has a bit more speed than power, and I would only really recommend picking him up in 12-team leagues or deeper that have a middle infield slot. Still a fantastic day for the rookie, someone to definitely keep an eye out for if you're in those deeper leagues, NL only. He's probably a must-roster because Bryce Terang looks pretty solid. All those rookies from Milwaukee look really good. Garrett Mitchell, Bryce Terang, even Brian Anderson, who is not a rookie but was acquired from the Marlins. I mean, he looks great too, so the Brewers have some stuff cooking over there. Next, Brian Reynolds of the Pirates. He went 3-for-5 with two home runs, three runs, and two RBI. That's home run leader Brian Reynolds to all of you. What a hot start for a guy who seems to be in limbo. He wanted to sign an extension with the Pirates, which didn't happen because he wanted too much. Then he wanted to be traded, which didn't happen because the Pirates are incompetent. And then he wanted to sign an extension again, which just didn't happen still. So someone give this guy a deal quick because hitting two homers, one at 108.6 miles per hour and the other at 104.4 miles per hour in the same game is very helpful for your team. And he's got four home runs so far this season. So Brian Reynolds looks really, really good. And then Glaber Torres of the Yankees. He went two for two with a homer, two runs, two RBI, three walks, and a stolen base. Speaking of leaders, we go from the home run leader in Reynolds to the stolen base leader in Torres. I can't believe Torres has five steals already, but he's been off to a hot start. So good for Torres. And it honestly has a lot to do with his patience at the plate. He drew three walks in this game and is currently walking at a 24% clip, while also only striking out twice so far this season. So it looks like good improvements for Glaber Torres, who kind of had a bounce-back season last year. So it's good to see that, and he's got one more year of arbitration, I think, in New York, and then he's possibly off. So there was rumors about him getting traded at the deadline so that Oswald Peraza and Anthony Volpe can get full playing time, but I don't know. They're looking like they might want to hold on to Glaber Torres. Yeah, uh, the fun thing about Glaber, I think he's also only 25 years old, so it, it's not like he's like an old guy that they just want to replace and, and get younger. Like, he is young. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, for sure. He's um, 26, I think. 26? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's honestly a really impressive start for Glaber. I, I mean, obviously he had that insane run against the Orioles a couple of years ago uh, where he just kept hitting bombs in Camden yeah. and there was nothing that they could do about it pre-wall uh, but it's good. pre-wall <laughs> yeah good, good to, yeah yeah exactly uh so good to see that he's taking advantage of like the new stolen base uh you know rules and, and changes um and it's working out for him and then as for Bryce Terang the fun story about that was that his family was also there in the in the park to, to watch him play so um they got to see him hit a grand slam which is always cool yeah and then honestly with Brian Reynolds I'd say just just keep him in limbo because it's apparently working. Yeah, that it is. That it is. Moving on to pitchers from Monday. We have the SP Roundup article for He's a Male Good Fellow by Nick Pollock. We start with the title boy, Tyler Male of the Twins. He went five innings pitched, one earned run, five hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Marlins. Great first start for Male. 
Before suffering the right shoulder strain in 2022, Molly was a pitcher that had loads of potential but always had the privilege of calling Great American Ballpark his home. Now that his shoulder seems to be okay and he pitches for the Twins instead of the Reds, there's a lot to like here. His fastball had a 35% CSW in this one, and his splitter was located well at the bottom of the zone. So, he's looking like a promising bounce-back guy for this season. In 2021, Male had a 3.75 ERA across 180 innings pitched with 210 strikeouts. As long as Male stays healthy, I can see him getting to 140 to 160 innings with a similar 10 to 11K per nine that he had back in 2021. So I think Male is going to be really good this season as long as he stays healthy. Hopefully that's true. I'd like to see him bounce back from that shoulder issue. Next, we have Drew Rasmussen of the Rays. He went six innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts. Granted, this was in 66 pitches, which I'll talk about in just a second. The PLV Darling starts his 2023 off with a King Cole against the Nationals, a 35% CSW. I'm surprised, but also not, that the Rays pulled him after only 66 pitches because he was dealing. Now, he wasn't just blowing him away and had those 7Ks really well earned. But he was being super efficient with what he was doing. The Rays are against allowing hitters to see pitchers for a third time around the order. But I think it would have been fine in this situation. It is the Nationals and Rasmussen looked really good. But Rasmussen is throwing a new cutter this season and it looked very good in this performance. So if you have Rasmussen, be happy about it because he's looking very good. You just have to question how the Rays are going to use him and utilize him in the best way possible. And then we have Freddie Peralta of the Brewers, who went six innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, three walks, and seven strikeouts against the Mets. Man, Freddie looked good. As a known fan of Peralta, I was super high on him the year before he got hurt. I'm surprised I walked away from drafts this season with zero shares, but at the same time, I'm still scared about the shoulder. If it holds up, then I'm going to regret not having him anywhere. His fastball was up a tick in this start, and the slider was kind of meh. But it's the first start of the season, and he still generated a 33% CSW against a great offense. So hopefully Peralta also stays healthy like Male and has a good season. Yeah, I Male, the interesting thing with him was that his fastball velocity was up, um, I mean, half a tick, but it basically it, it wasn't down, which is the, which is the good part. Right. Um, so he looks to be you know, back to 100%. Um, and then, I mean, I... I would had Rasmussen everywhere I could this past season or this past draft season. Um, so I'm very happy with this start. Obviously the 66 pitches is like kind of weird, Yeah, but I've kind of taken that just to, ex- I just expect that from the first week of, of the, the season, right? Pitch counts are always low. Um, and even if you're dealing teams don't want to risk anything, let's hope that the Rays le- are willing to leave him out for 80, 90 pitches. Um, you know, they, they don't have as deep of a bullpen as they did before. Uh, we've talked about that with um, Shea McClanahan, um, you know, Jeffrey Springs a little bit. Uh, but they can't necessarily afford to take all their guys out just when they're about to face the third time in the order. So maybe they'll have a little bit more faith. Um, and and Freddie Peralta just honestly looking great. I'm glad that it worked out for him. Uh, unfortunate that it came against the Mets. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that that's life. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's hard to win games when you score zero runs, and we did that twice in a row against the Brewers, so not going to be uh, yeah. too critical on that one. And yeah, the Rasmussen thing with 66 pitches, you know, you're 100% right that since it's the start of the season, they're going to make sure they keep an eye on their 
starters and make sure they don't baby them, quote unquote, but they mm-hmm. take it easy on them, at least in the first week. But Rasmussen, I mean, please let him pitch more. <laughs> yeah, if only. Um, the, other, the other thing about Freddie, too, that I want to mention is like the velocity was up on everything. Yep. His changeup was four miles an hour faster, which is kind of crazy. Wow. Uh, but but four seamer was up. Slider was up like that's usually a good sign that he's healthy. Um, and I mean, I'd hope he's healthy to begin the season. Right. right. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't seem like he's yeah, dealing with any nagging injuries, which is good. Yeah. No, without a doubt. All right. Moving on to Tuesday's hitters. Uh, thanks to Mark Stubinger for the daily hitting recap for Tuesday. Uh, we're going to start with Spencer Torkelson, who went three for four with a double, a homer, a run, and three RBI. Uh, Torque's been a bit of a dud over six games this season, but he showed on a Tuesday as the Tigers somehow beat the Astros for the second time in the row. He doubled home two runs off Framber Valdez initially and then added a homer in the eighth. He has set a career-best max exit velo this year. Um, the striker percentage is down. It's down by half, actually. I think it was 24% last year, 12% this year. Uh, obviously, small, small sample size. Um, it's still tough to trust Torque, though, on your fantasy teams. I think he's maybe worth a stash, but not much else. Um, again, he only has first base eligibility, too, so I, I don't really know if it's really worth starting him. Uh, but he might he might show up sometime and, and maybe that's a good time to have torque on your teams uh, moving on Kyle Schwarber of the Phillies went two for five with a homer run and two RBI and all of Kyle Schwarber managers just exhaled including me oh my goodness it's been a bad start to the season for last year's hottest leadoff hitter a zero percent walk rate which is incredible an average well below the Mendoza line. I think he's batting like 150. Um, he did get the monkey off his back on Tuesday, though, finally with a homer off Domingo Herman. He did tack on another homer on Wednesday, too. So, you know, not bad. Not, not a bad two-day showing for Kyle. Uh, the walk rate is still atrocious. He still hasn't drawn a single walk. The K rate is really bad. Uh, and he essentially has zero protection in this Phillies lineup thanks to injuries to uh, both Reese Hoskins and, of course, as we mentioned, um, Harper, but let's not rate drop Schwarber just yet. Uh, I do believe he can still get those walks. Um, and if he can cut that K rate just down a little bit, um, I think we'll take that. So for Torkelson, I think in a keeper dynasty league, you obviously are holding on to this guy because he's got loads yep. of potential and upside. I think in deep leagues, like 15 teams are deeper, maybe you have him on your bench and you kind of wait it out. It's tough because he obviously was a dud, like you said, for six games. And then he had this one good showing, but there's some potential there. So I'd put him on your watch lists and maybe keep an eye out on him. But he's not someone you have to jump and grab right now. And then for Kyle Schwarber, he's one of the most inconsistent hitters. And knowing that from playing in a head-to-head league for multiple years, playing against Schwarber, rostering Schwarber, he is just an up-and-down guy that one week he'll go off and one week he'll take off. And then it's just... A back and forth thing. But at the end of the year, you'll probably get those normal Kyle Schwarber numbers you want to see. The walk rate is atrocious right now, and same with the strikeout rate. So hopefully he evens those out because if he doesn't do that, then he's just a droppable player. But yeah, do not rage drop Kyle Schwarber. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, well, moving on to Hot Dodd, uh, the SP Roundup article from Nick Pollock. Uh, we're going to start with Sandy Alcantara. Nine innings, zero in runs, three hits, one walk, and five strikeouts. Even if it game against my twins, we have to celebrate the first complete shutout of the season. Of course, it's Sandy. Who else could it be? It's <laughs> still slightly infuriating that he does this and only records five strikeouts. It's just, you know, classic Sandy. Uh, but it's hard to ask for a better outcome in this day and age. 
the other pitcher on the bump, though, was Kenta Maeda, uh, who went five innings, one earned run, three hits, zero walks, and nine strikeouts. As we mentioned, he did exit this game a little early with arm fatigue, but he should be fine. Uh, he was making his first return to the majors after being out for more than a year, uh, recovering from Tommy John. Remember, he was out basically in September of 2021 and hasn't pitched in a major league game since. So uh, welcome back, Kenta Maeda. Uh, he was looking great. He posted 17 whips, 39% CSW. He was striking guys out with ease. Uh, the only slight bit he had was giving up a homer. Uh, but, you know, that's fine, I guess. Uh, the slider was amazing. The four-seamer was getting strikes. The splitter wasn't doing much, but honestly, it really didn't do much, too much for him in 2021 either. Um, this is basically vintage Maeda, right? This is the guy who finished runner-up to the Cy Young uh, a couple years back. Uh, and for a guy who was essentially free, you'll be glad you kept him on your fantasy teams, even though I didn't, and I'm still kind of regretting that. Ooh, that's rough. That's rough. Yeah, Kenta Maeda... He's always been good throughout his whole career, and it's nice to see that he's returning to form, and it definitely is rough that Maeda left with injury in this start, and it wasn't an injury, thank God. We talked about that earlier. It was just fatigue, but my God, imagine if he just got hurt first after this great performance, and you're just like, oh my God, what do we do with this guy? Mm Because he looks so promising, and then obviously, speaking of promising, Sandy is just a token in this day and age going nine innings, obviously before anyone else. I don't think anyone else even went like seven innings or seven, seven right. and two thirds or eight. And he's gone nine already. So pretty impressive out of Sandy. Moving on to Wednesday, April 5th from the daily hitting recap from Jim Chatterton. We've got Jorge Soler of the Marlins who went two for four with two home runs, two runs and four RBI. Soler is consistently batting second right now for the Marlins and is off to a pretty good start. He's someone that we all know has 30-plus home run potential, but it also comes at the cost of a batting average sink. Ride him while he's hot in shallow leagues, and he's a great five outfield, deeper league option for those of you that are looking for answers there. I roster him in one of my deeper leagues, and he's been great so far. Obviously, you're going to get the, the bads and the goods with him, but I'll take the goods while they're good. Then we have Pete Alonso from the Mets, who had the exact same line as Jorge Soler. Two for four, two home runs, two runs, and four RBI. Both of the home runs that Alonso hit were off of Corbin Burns, which is the first time that any player has ever hit two home runs in the same game against Burns, which is pretty interesting. I've never seen something like that of a stat pop up, but I saw it on Twitter and I thought I would quote it. Sorry, I don't know who tweeted it. It looks like Pete is finally shaking off the rust. Also to note, Pete has four walks and only four strikeouts so far this season. Every year, Pete's K-rate has dropped, and for the past two seasons, it's been under 20%, which shows that he's just getting better and better as a hitter, so promising things there for Pete Alonso. And also, Jordan Walker of the Cardinals and Joey Weimer of the Brewers both hit their first Major League home runs, so congratulations to them both. Every year, I tell myself I'm going to get shares of Pete Alonso, and I never (laughs) do, and I immediately regret it. And yeah, it's just, he is... On it, it's it's weird to call him an underrated first baseman because I think he was going in the second round in, in most drafts. Um, maybe not. Uh, no, yeah, he definitely was going in the second round. Second or drafts. third, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but like he gets constantly overlooked because, you know, for good reason. You got Vlad, you've got Freddie Freeman uh, above him. But man, P. Alonso uh, is in the running for maybe one of the best first basemen um, in the game right now. He is the traditional first base archetype that we've always had in fantasy like 10 years ago where it was Mm -hmm. like you have power hitting first baseman. Like that is 
the yep. quintessential him and Vlad are like those two guys that are like, hey, they're 40 home run plus potential guys, good mm-hmm. average, good OBP, lots of RBI, no steals, rocks at first base. And Pete is maybe the best first baseman nowadays. And it's hard because, like you said, you got Vlad, you got Freeman, you got Goldie, you've got mm-hmm. so many good options at first base. Matt Olson's another good one. But Pete Alonso is up there with probably Aaron Judge is one of the best power hitters in the game right now. Yeah. And he's cutting a strikeout rate. He's in a good Mets offense, which just gets on base. Brandon Nimmo ahead of him gets on base. Lindor's a great hitter. So a lot of RBI potential. Starling Marte's in front of him. So yeah, Pete's incredible. And my biggest regret in fantasy, I think for the last five years maybe, was four years ago, I picked him up as a free agent in my home keeper league. Mm. And I traded him in his rookie season where he hit 53 home runs. I traded him halfway through the season for Chris Sale because Uh, my pitching was atrocious and I had a lot of depth bat-wise and he already hit me like 28 home runs at that point. I said, I think Pete's going to hit 42 home runs. So I'm really missing out on 14 home runs for a lot of Chris Sale starts. I did that. Sale stunk. Alonzo was great. Got kept for three years and destroyed me every time I saw him. So Yeah. yeah, big regret there. The funny thing is, when I think of other Mets first baseman, the only name that comes to mind is Lucas Duda. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that you, you know, traded a a, a rookie Mets uh, first baseman, obviously a different perspective than I do, but I'm like, mm, yeah, I would have, you know, maybe not believed in it completely. So, yeah. And I was a big believer in Alonzo too, but I just didn't think he was going to hit 53 home runs and then go on to be like the best first baseman for the Mets since Keith Hernandez. So, yeah. I just kind of underestimated him, but I will never do that again. I love Pete. Yeah, that, that's fantasy baseball, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> and then moving on to pitchers from the SP Roundup article, Hunter Gatherers from Nick Pollock. So many pitchers did well on Wednesday. DeGrom, Cole, Otani, Javier, and Manoa were all dominant. But let's talk about some guys that could be taking things to the next level. Coincidentally enough, they went up against each other. And coincidentally enough as well, they're from the same teams that you just talked about for the Tuesday <laughs> pitchers. So, yeah. man, what a pitching duel for the Marlins and the Twins. But we start with Jesus Lazardo of the Marlins. He went seven innings pitched, one earned run, five hits, one walk, and 10 strikeouts against the Twins. Man, I wish I had more shares of Lazardo because he looks so good. Lazardo earned himself a King Cole against a good offense in Minnesota. He had a 41% CSW. His velocity is still up, constantly over 97 miles per hour with his fastball. His changeup and breaker both returned a 47% CSW. And he really looks like the next big breakout pitcher right now. The wins might not be there due to him pitching for the Marlins, but he is elite on every level. If you're in a quality start league, Lazardo looks immaculate. And then on the other side, Pablo Lopez of the Twins used to be of the Marlins, now on the Twins against the Marlins, went seven innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts. He had a 31% CSW against the Marlins, which is fantastic. Now, Pablo, I actually have a lot of shares of, and I'm super excited about that. Ever since his velocity was up in the WBC, I've been interested in Lopez, and that's why I took so much draft stock of him. That uptick in velocity is still present in the regular season, up about two miles per hour from normal. Also, he featured his new slider 33% of the time in this start, and it returned a ridiculous 53% CSW. There were rumors that he changed up his arsenal specifically for this start, since he was obviously a Marlin previously, and they're the most familiar with his repertoire, so 
That's why he threw his best pitch to change up so little in this start and featured that new slider so much, which makes complete sense to be honest. So great things out of Pablo Lopez and Jesus Lazardo. I think both of them are going to have great 2023 seasons. Yeah, just like Pete Alonso, I was really expecting to have a lot of Luzardo shares this year, and I just ended up with zero. Yep, um, same here. Same exact oh, thing. Man, I, the Jesus Lizard is great. I I love him so much. I think he – I agree with you. I think he is the next breakout pitcher, um, and he's going to have the room to run on this this Marlins team uh, because they really have no one else to turn to. Their, <laughs> yeah. their bullpen is pretty atrocious. Um, so, yeah, it just – if if you can, you know, get your hands on Luzardo if you can, uh, and then Pablo Lopez. The, the interesting thing, interesting thing about him is that uh, Savant and I think Pitcherless as well, um, basically characterized that new slider as a sweeper. Uh, yeah. Which um, if you listen to our pod from uh, I believe two weeks ago, Nate Schwartz, um, he wrote an excellent article on sweepers. Um, definitely check that out on Pitcherless. Uh, just like what is a sweeper, basically. Uh, but yeah, it was deadly uh it was deadly in his first start and it was just as good in the second start nine whiffs um, i don't know if you mentioned that uh but yeah 53 percent csw that's insane yeah um the, the funny thing about this start too which i don't think it's going to happen for most other season or most other games that lopez has is that the marlins were running on lopez like like i think like three or four guys tried to steal on lopez because they were so aware of his timings um it ended up like not working for the Marlins on most of those those steal attempts, uh, but it is an interesting thing to just think of like the entire major league uh, baseball ecosystem where because of the pitch clock, like some runners are going to have this internal clock of when they know they can run on yeah. a pitcher because they can at this point they can time when the pitch has to go when the pitch has to be thrown. So um, just something I noticed in watching that Pablo start um, that is just interesting for, you know, the number of stolen bases this year. Yeah, that's a great point. That is an actual great point for steals and just being able to time it up. Cause if a guy's consistently throwing it with two seconds left on the clock, you can take off at three and you're good. You're like, yeah, it's definitely something to think about. I mean, steals are already running rampant so far, no pun intended for <laughs> the season. So it's pretty fun to watch. Yeah. Well, moving on to Thursday, we're going to talk about J.D. Davis, uh, who you mentioned uh, in our uh, spring training uh, yeah. recap pod. Um, the, the the Giants went up against uh, the White Sox today, and they, they tagged Lance Lynn for eight or runs. And then for good measure, J.D. Davis decided to add insult to injury by hitting a grand slam in the ninth. Just like, hey, thanks for, bringing, thanks for inviting us to Chicago. Uh, see you later. Here's 16 <laughs> runs. Uh, so, you know. I'm sure the White Sox will love to repay the favor when they visit San Francisco next year. Uh, but Davis had a, has had a really pedestrian start to the season. Prior to this game, he's only had two hits and 10 at-bats with only one drawn walk. Again, it's not like he was a high-drafted third baseman. Um, it's tough to say whether he'll contribute more than just a bench player on a deep team. His K rate's up, the walk rate's down. So he's not even that valuable in an OVP league. Um, still, it's something to monitor if you need help in that department. He is, you know pretty decent guy when it comes to OVP career-wise. Unfortunately, it's likely the only way that Davis can help your teams. He doesn't really do much counting stats-wise, unfortunately. Um, and then Orlando Arcia of Atlanta went 3-4 for four with a homer, two runs, two RBIs, and a walk. 
There was certainly a lot of hubbub when Atlanta opted to send Von Grissom back down to AAA in order to keep Orlando Arcia up with the major league team. He's had a decent start to the season in some games. He's been slashing 370, 414, 667, which is surprising considering how little of a factor he usually is on offense. I think this is, like, obviously small sample size, but he, I don't think he's ever finished the season with a WRC plus above 70, I think, um, which is uh, bad. Um, so, yeah, incredibly small sample size. I think if there's anything to grasp analytics-wise, it's that he's increased his hard contact rate to 43.5%. That's good for 23rd in the majors right now. He's never hit a ball this hard this often. Um, and so maybe he did something with his swing over the offseason that allows him to turn on the ball a little bit easier. I'm not saying he's an immediate pickup because of how deep shortstop is, but if this continues, if he continues to hit the ball this hard, um, he would not be a bad bench option or a middle infield option in deeper leagues. Yeah, so first with Arcia, I actually, in TGFBI, I drafted Vaughn Grissom as my starting second baseman, just Ooh. very confidently. And I was like, oh no, when I found out he got sent down. So I luckily got a fab bid on him for, I think I put Nick Gordon at thirty dollars mm, yeah. of our thousand dollar budget for my option as a replacement, mm-hmm. and I put a twenty dollar bid on Arcia, and I ended up losing out on Nick Gordon, and I got Arcia. And man, he's been a godsend since I yeah. acquired him. He's been great. I mean, and like you said, he's been relatively horrible offensively for the most <laughs> part, and he's been great this season. I mean, hey, he's really running away with a job, and that kind of makes me scared for Vaughn Grissom's future mm-hmm. just this season, at least. Yeah, And I don't know what's going to happen there. But then J.D. Davis, as I was harping in spring, he hits the ball so hard. And I'm so mad that he doesn't have consistent playing time. You'd think he'd DH more frequently or something because he's not a great fielder at all. And they Mm -hmm. have VR, who they like a lot to play, and Tyro Estrada. And they're all doing well as well. So it's hard to bench any of those guys. But it's kind of frustrating that they're not playing Davis as much. I mean, he's only had 10 at-bats. And I really just wish they gave him some more opportunity because clearly he hits the ball hard. Obviously he had a grand slam in this game, which is fantastic, but Mm -hmm. I just see so much potential in JD Davis and it's unfortunate. He doesn't get enough opportunity. Yeah. The the giants have kind of like a weird, they're kind of like the inverse of the, the Marlins where the Marlins got a bunch of second basemen to to play on their team this year. Yep. Whereas the giants have just like a bunch of utility players who can play all over the field. Um, Like, According to roster resource, like they've got Lamont Wade Jr.'s at first, Tyro Strata's at second, um, and David Vieira's at third. But then, like you mentioned, that JD Davis could play third or first. Yep. You have Wilmer Flores, who could literally play anywhere. Wilmer Flores actually hit a homer today yep. uh, in the game against against the White Sox. So he's 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 good for like you know twenty homers in a season. Um, and they also have Matt Beattie, who you can play some first base too. So they've got a lot of interchangeable parts there. Um, and yeah, it just just means that they're going to spread the at-bats around and it's hard to trust really any of those guys um to be solid for an entire season like they'll probably get 500 at-bats but you know it'll be it'll be inconsistent right and that's the hard part is that it'll be so inconsistent you can't really roster them for fantasy because you never know what Gabe Kapler is going to run out there on any given day so Mm -hmm. it's tough and also fun little fact is like you said Wilmer Flores had a home run in this game Mm-hmm. J.D. Davis hit a home run in this game, and Michael Conforto hit a home run in this game. So three ex-Mets all <laughs> yeah. homered for the Giants today in an onslaught on Lennon. My leagues that you're going to talk about, one of these pitchers, but Lennon Sale today I had in one league, and they just got obliterated, yes. and it was not fun at all. But you can get onto the pitchers now that I've said one of the names. 
<laughs> yeah, well, we're going to start with Kyle Freeland instead of Colorado. Uh, he pitched 6.2 innings, zero and runs, four hits, two blocks, and five strikeouts. Uh, why I'm talking about Kyle Freeland, not just because he uh, had 6.2 shutout innings, but the last time Colorado held an opponent to a single run in a home opener was against the Dodgers in 2017. Now I get it. It was only six years ago, so it's not like this is a historic start or anything, but it is Colorado. The fact that Kyle Freeland had 6.2 shutout innings should be insane yeah. um and yeah they actually won the game because they played the nationals so you know uh, th that's life i guess you know schedule an easy opponent and it usually means uh, you have a better home opener result um it was a little weird though he only earned four whiffs had an overall csw of 70 percent um so if you stream freeland congratulations i just don't ever expect this to happen again uh, and then Chris Sale, like you mentioned, of Boston, five innings, three earned runs, three hits, three walks, and seven strikeouts. Yes, that sounds like a terrible line, but uh, if you compare it to his last start against Baltimore, it's actually an improvement. Um, <laughs> he did go sinker-heavy this start, though, which was kind of weird. He didn't. He, he usually throws his four-seamer the most. Uh, he, you know, he has that four-seamer slider combo, but this time he went sinker-heavy. Um, hard to say if it really worked. Only had a 22% CSW. Uh, his four-seamer, though, wasn't good. It only had a 17% CSW, so maybe he just knows that that pitch is kind of a dud right now. The slider was working, though. Um, getting four whips, overall 42% CSW. Um, I'm honestly just really worried about Sale. All the velocities were down. His four-seamer is three ticks lower. Um, it's not like he has an obvious injury or anything, but if someone is asking about Sale because they found this start encouraging... Um, I would sell as quickly as possible. So in my 10-team keeper home league, I drafted Sale, I think, in the 10th or 11th round, and I believed in the bounce back. And his first start, his velocity was fine. He was getting 94 miles per hour on his fastball and doing all right. He was just missing his spots, and obviously mm -hmm. it's his first start of the season, so I get it. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the velocity was good, and that was encouraging. And he still got a you know good amount of strikeouts, but just gave up a ton of home runs to the Orioles. In this start, his velocity was down three ticks, like you said. It was cold because you know they're pitching True. in Detroit yep. and stuff. It was cold. It was cold, but it's still yep. not really an excuse for three miles per hour velocity dip. But hmm. I'm hoping that it was just the cold weather and he gets back on it because the slider looked really good and the CSWs yep. were good and it. This was promising to me, although it could have been a disaster. Mm -hmm. And also, he was kind of getting squeezed just a little bit on sliders in and fastballs in and sinkers in. They were looking like strikes, and he wasn't getting the call, and he was kind of frustrated about it. There's a clip out there against Jonathan Scope, I believe, where he threw a slider that was pretty much nicking the inside corner. And he was mm -hmm. like, where is that pitch? Like, where do you have that? And Because he it, yeah. it looked like a strike. So I think it was a little bit of cold weather getting squeezed and all that, that made this look a little bit worse than it was. But the velocity is definitely something to keep an eye on because if that stays what it is, same with Lance Lynn because his velocity was down too. And once again, cold. But mm -hmm. if their velocities both are down, they're definitely guys that you should move or might have to drop at some point, which is just sad to say. Right. And, I mean, and the thing too is that if their velocities are down, they're just easier to hit. Yeah, right. Um, And again, it could be like a one one game issue, right? Like like you mentioned, I don't think Lance Lynn's ever going to give up. Well, I shouldn't say he's never going to give up eight right, yeah. because he definitely has before. It's highly um, unlikely. It's highly unlikely, yes. And the conditions are such that, you know, maybe he isn't pitching at his best. Um, it, yeah, it's games like this that make it hard to trust a guy like yeah. Sale, like Lynn, for an entire season because yep. 
you know, it's the classic uh, picture list, like cherry bomb sort of thing, right? Right. Where it's, they have the highest of highs. And oh my goodness, when the lows come, they are low. And it's just, are you willing to risk that? And sometimes you have to, because that's just the reality of the the, the makeup of the pitcher, the pitching pool. Not everyone's an ace, uh, and that's okay. So it's just, you know, how much are you willing to tolerate the, the downs? Right, and this season, I was kind of actively avoiding drafting a lot of pitching early, as most people were, because the middle pack of pitching looked so good, like... Chris Sale, Lance Lynn, Jesus Lazardo, Dustin May, mm-hmm. like all those guys were going in the middle rounds that you could just grab essentially for free and have them do well. And Lynn pitched okay in his first start. Sale obviously got lit up by the Orioles. And then mm-hmm. I walked into today like, okay, great. On one of my teams, I got Lynn and Sale. Lynn's against the Giants <laughs> and Sale's against the Tigers. This is a good day. And it yeah. started off horribly. And I, I just couldn't believe it. So both of their velocities being down, especially Lynn. I think Lynn's even more of a concern because if he's throwing 91-mile-per-hour fastballs, which he is just a fastball pitcher pretty much, yep. then he's just throwing BP, and that's not going to last. But I'm, like I said, giving them both a pass. Don't press the panic button yet, everybody. It's something to monitor for sure. And like John said, if someone approaches you saying, hey, I'm interested in one of these two guys, uh, definitely consider the options. Don't sell completely low on them after these two starts because I think that – once the weather gets a little warmer and they get a little bit more comfortable, they will do a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Pitcherless writer Cam Levy to talk about his article, Nick Pavetta is Turning Back the Clock. Stay tuned. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back and joined by Pitcherless writer Cam Levy. Cam, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's our pleasure. Now, 
we're going to talk about your article, Nick Pavetta is turning back the clock, which you posted on PitcherList, which obviously is fantastic. So before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, like how long you've been playing fantasy or what team you're a fan of, just a little bit more fun info about yourself. Sure. So um, I have been playing fantasy baseball for probably about three years now. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not actually a huge fantasy guy. I've, I've grown to love it a lot more and more. Um, but my friends from home and from, from school are like not giant into it, not super huge into it. So I never really got the chance to get like really big into it, but I've always been a fan of baseball analytics and, and stuff like that. And those, you know, like those things intersect pretty like they are the same thing essentially like so when there's a re- article about fan graphs or on picture list about anyone about anything it applies to both fantasy and real life and so um i've always found that i listen to fancy baseball podcasts and they're really just even if i'm not taking anything away from it from a fantasy perspective it's just about learning more about the game and learning more about um you know how, how, how the game is played and stuff like that. So um, I have been playing consistently. I've gotten a lot more into it, um, but I didn't start off really playing fantasy baseball. It was always more of just wanting to know more about, about the game. And what team do you root for? Uh, I'm a Yankees fan. Oh, okay, oh, okay. Little New York <laughs> head button here. I'm, I'm a Mets fan, so. Okay, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. no, I'm, I'm just... I don't have beef with, with Mets fans. Same. I have no beef with Yankees and the Yankee fans. Just sometimes, as long as you guys don't interject with us, we're cool. We're cool. We're, we could share a space, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, all, it's all good. Unless, I mean, I don't want you guys to win. Like, I definitely root against you. But there's no, <laughs> there's no animosity. Wow, well, okay, well... I mean? That hurts me a little bit, but I can get over that. I can get over that and get along with this interview. We could just cut it off right now, but, you know, we'll just continue. <laughs> yeah. We'll continue... <laughs> Right. It's okay. I'm a Twins fan, so I'm just obligated to hate Yankees uh, just just because of uh, just playoff misery. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, hear that, Cam? I got John on my side. Watch <laughs> out, okay? That's totally fair. We, we do own the Twins. It is, it is yeah, insane how often we beat the Twins. It's a little unfortunate, but you yeah. know, we, we roll with it. Right, right. But let's start getting into your article. Now, before we start talking about the pitch mechanic changes that Pavetta made this offseason, what is peak Pavetta, quote-unquote? What worked for him back in 2018, which was one of his best seasons? Yeah, so in 2018, um, he had a pretty pretty bad ERA. It was, uh, it was 4.77, which is, like, objectively a, a terrible earned run average. Um, it's really quite bad, but... The I think he was hurt a little bit by Citizens Bank Park, and I think he was maybe hurt a little bit by defense. So the other metrics, you know, the other more underlying stats like FIP, XFIP, XERA, those were all around three five, three seven. Um, you know, he had a, a BABIP of three twenty six, which definitely didn't help. Um, he had a pretty low left on base rate, um, which is a bad thing. I for, Sometimes left-on base rate confuses me, but that, obviously, he only had a 69% left-on base rate, which isn't isn't great. Um, and so I think he was hurt by some bad luck, but he had a, a strikeout-to-walk ratio that was very good. Um, he was up near the top in the league in terms of that metric, and um, obviously he pitched quite often. He threw over 160 innings, so 
And that's always been something that he's been good at, which is being a, a workhorse. But, um, you know, the strikeout rate was, was very high, um, limited walks to a degree. And um, more specifically, when it comes to the strikeout rate and the walk rate, uh, in 2018, he posted his career best breaking ball um, whiff rate, breaking ball chase rate, um, and then specifically bro- broken down by both his slider and his curveball were also at career bests in those two metrics, um, not including 2020 small sample. Uh, so, you know, I think the success of his 2018, or it wasn't success because of the ERA, but his underlying success was really driven by his two breaking balls that were very good, very strong pitches, um, getting swings and misses, getting chases out of the zone, which also led to a career high ground ball rate. Uh, I believe it was 46.7%, which is great. Ground balls are cool. Um, and it's funny because you definitely don't consider when you think of Nick Pavetta the last couple of years, he is not a ground ball guy. It's just not what comes to mind, at least for me. So I was very surprised to see that he was getting a, a good amount of ground balls back in the day. And I think that had to do with the amount of swings he got on pitches outside of the zone and weak contact, things like that. So that was what uh, Nick Feta was, was when, that, when he was at his best, was getting success on those two breaking balls. Yeah, which is crazy. Like I said, one of his best seasons because obviously his ERA wasn't great, but it never is. His lowest ERA ever in his career was 4.53, which is just mm-hmm. horrendous. But he obviously had the best looking stuff in that year, which is why it's one of his better years. And we're wondering what worked well for him back then because he had to make some changes coming into this season to hopefully replicate some stuff that worked well then. Yeah, it was interesting how he just kind of fell off a cliff. Um, he was, and I, and I, you know, my article definitely got people upset and angry when they were seeing the <laughs> Nick Veta breakout article. Like I was, <laughs> I knew this was going to happen because I, the first thing I put was, uh, you know, Nick Pavetta was a, a big breakout pick after an impressive 2018 campaign. Uh-huh. And so I knew that people would read it and be like, ugh, like this is like another Nick Pavetta breakout article. <laughs> but uh, Jesus Christ, they were going, they were coming for my life, some of these Philly fans. <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> um, so, I, but it is really, his, his drop off has been pretty stark. And for a guy that had such potential, like he's been just boring and bland and bad for a while now so yeah it it is truly unfortunate that his you know what we call his best season so to speak is because of the stuff but um in terms of era it wasn't actually that bad compared to the rest of his career too yeah you know 5.4 era in 2019 a 6.9 era in 2020 like yeah you know by by definition it's actually one of his better years even by era standards but um, yeah, let's hope the Philly fans don't come after us too after this podcast. <laughs> well, it's it's mainly the FIP that was really good in 2018. His FIP was 3.79, which was the lowest yeah. in his career. So that's mm-hmm. why that season was so good because he had so many things working for him. It just had an inflated ERA with it. Yeah, I was just going to say the the FIP was 3.79. The XFIP was 3.42. The XERA was 3.52. Like, yep. that's just, I mean, those are like really good numbers, yeah. especially oh, yeah. over 164 innings. Like, if he had that, if that was his ERA over 164 innings, he would have been up there in, in in Cy Young. Probably he would have gotten a couple Cy Young, you know, third place votes or whatever. So, really, the I don't know, I don't it didn't I didn't dig 
too deep into what happened, but a 326 Babbitt's not great. Citizens Bank Park isn't great. I mean, the Phillies have always had a bad defense, I feel like. Yeah. So I feel like that probably was a play role. Yeah. Well, moving on to the pitch mechanics that you kind of talked about in your article. Um, the first pitch you mentioned is his curveball, specifically kind of the change he made so that, um, as you quoted, it's in, in the zone longer at a better speed. Um, can you go into this a little bit more? How does this change help Pavetta, right? How does he, how does this help going from a curveball that's outside the zone, inside of the zone, and the back outside of the zone to a curveball that's, you know, in the zone longer? Yeah, so that's what he said um, in the Boston Globe uh, when I was writing this article. I read that, and and when when he said the out of it, his twenty twenty two curveball was more mm-hmm. out of zone, in zone, out of zone. To me, that made a lot of sense because his curveball um, was had the most induced vertical break um, among qualified curveballs last season, and in other words, it got the most drop. Okay. And, you know, it wasn't thrown at 72 miles an hour. It was thrown at 77. And, you know, that's a, a lot of drop for a curveball at that velocity. And mm-hmm. uh, the, but, but because of such drop, I think when he says out of the zone, in the zone, out of the zone, he meant like it starts above the zone, then it dips down, and it keeps going because it has so much movement to the point where it's down below the zone. Mm-hmm. And to me, that read as what he was trying to say was he had some difficulty commanding it. He also had some difficulty um, fooling hitters. And so mm-hmm. in the zone longer at a better speed, when he said that to me, that made a lot of sense because it's something that's a, a tighter pitch shape, something you can probably control a little bit better that has less movement, you know, less shape to it. And he can kind of manipulate it into his spots um, a little bit more effectively. Um and I think that, that that made a lot of sense as something that he could change. Um, you know, he throws per- decently hard. And so I think having a, a breaking ball that is thrown at a, a faster velocity would potentially work to help some command things. And um, as we'll get, you know, talk about later, some, some other elements of his arsenal could improve because of that. Yeah. It, I mean, definitely recommend people read this article. We, I mean, we say that every time, but honestly, this, uh, you know, a 20 minute interview doesn't really do this justice. Right. Um, you, you have a really interesting heat map in your article looking at when he throws the curveball with two strikes, where that ball ended up last year. And the main areas are just right in the zone, uh, which doesn't seem like the best place to put a curveball that's traveling at, you know, 77 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, one of the, one of the changes you mentioned is, yeah, he, he basically got less induced vertical break in his curveball so far during the spring, uh, about a change about, uh, you know, six less inches essentially. Um, and he's throwing it harder. Um, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, uh, is, does that just, you mentioned like that's easier to command, um, you know, for people who don't, you know, maybe understand pitching, uh, as well like how does throwing a ball harder and with less break make it easier to command theoretically you know, I, speaking, think it, I guess yeah i think that's a good thing to add theoretically speaking because it, it might depend on the pitcher you know like mm-hmm. adam adam wainwright um if you asked him to throw his curveball faster and with a tighter shape he might not be able to throw it the way he wants to uh, mm-hmm. you know because he has such a, a great curveball um that has a big shape but i think 
theoretically um, getting less movement on it and having it be thrown a little bit harder could help him command it better. Um, you know, it's it instead before it was really a big slow looper, as mm-hmm. I think I mentioned, it's very loopy. Yeah. And it's a kind of pitch where you can miss your spots often. And if you do miss your spots, especially in the zone, it's a meatball for these hitters. Um, mm-hmm. So having something that's a little bit of a smaller shape, a little bit better velocity kind of gives him a little bit more leeway if he does miss the spots, mm-hmm. but also should help him miss his spots less again theoretically but that yeah. concept makes sense to me it's just less movement you know it, in terms of a curveball mm-hmm. should help you throw it where you want more often i feel like that just makes sense yeah i i think if if you know people who listeners if they look at that heat map i think it makes a lot of sense because the range of the ball is literally like a strike zone above and below the strike zone yep but if you have you know less movement on a ball like just naturally that's going to decrease because the ball can go less places, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you miss low, you miss high um, and being able to know where that ball's going on a, you know, on a better basis, just law of averages sort of thing, I think could give him more confidence of being willing to throw that um, because he has a better idea of where it's going to end up. Yeah. And we're talking a lot about shape and whatnot. And you just spoke about this a little bit, but Another change you mentioned in the article to his curveball is that it now has a similar shape to his slider, including a table showing that with the greater difference in vertical break between the two pitches, the worse the results. What might be the reasoning behind that? Yeah, so so I mentioned how in 2018, that was when his breaking balls individually and grouped together were at their highest in terms of chase rate and whiff rate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and... In 2018, they had a, a, a smaller, the, the smallest vertical break difference between them, the slider and the curveball, um, than they've had in his career. So since then, the, 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 basically the difference in movement has just gone bigger and bigger and bigger. And again, theoretically, I'm not, a, I never really played baseball competitively. I, I played, but I sucked. Um, <laughs> basically, like, um, I would think that if you have one slider that is, um, you know, a normal slider, whatever, he threw it around 85 miles an hour, um, kind of cutter, a shape, whatever, versus a big, looping, slow curveball that out of the hand, you, uh, it's pretty easy to tell the difference between them, um, you know, especially with the way they're throwing it, right? The curveball is being thrown with a lot of topspin. And so it's coming out of the hand one way, while the slider, or I'm, I'm going to call it the, the, the slutter here, just because it kind of had a cutter shape, is thrown with very clear side spin at a velocity that is a solid eight miles per hour faster than the curveball. Mm-hmm. And I think it became really easy for hitters to pick up the difference between those pitches um, since 2018, I think. The slower the curveball's gotten and the bigger it's gotten, the easier it's been for these hitters to discern, like, oh, that's the curveball. Let me sit on it. And, you know, if it's in the zone, I'm swinging. If it's out of the zone, I'm, I'm taking because it's just easier to pick it up. And then, you know, it has an effect on both pitches because you, you know, he basically throws three pitches, fastball, slider, curveball. And if, 
you know, the goal, I think a lot with when it comes to like this discussion about tunneling, which has gotten more um, popular recently. And just in terms of making your pitches morph at least a little bit, making them look similar, at least a little bit, um, is that if you only throw three pitches, which plenty of guys do and succeed with, you have to have them look somewhat similar out of the hand. And with such this vast velocity and movement difference between his curveball and slider, it I think it just made it easy for hitters. So um, I, I think that played a role in, in his drop-off since 2018. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because on pitchless, you know, we, we're able to see gifs of each of these pitches. And if you go to Pavetta's player page and you look at his curveball and his slider, like the the gifs that we have, like they aren't exactly from the same, you know, position, same park. So it's not the same camera angle, but it's very clear that they're two different pitches coming out of the hand. Yep. Um, and yeah, I can imagine, you know, tightening that up a little bit, making things look a little bit more similar. Um, just, you know, it gives an extra tenth of a second that the that the batter has to just think, um, right? Instead of just like, oh, that's the curve, I'll lay off on it, or or you know, that's the the slider, I'll lay off of it. So, um, mm -hmm. so obviously we're not predicting that, or you're not predicting that Nick Pavetta is going to be you know the next ace, but you know what is Pavetta's role? You know, on let's just say on a fantasy this year, is he a guy who? You know, he will stream a couple times depending on the matchups. Or is he a guy that like might legitimately be, you know, a someone who sticks on your roster for the rest of the season? Do you think? I think, uh, depending on the size of your league, um, I think he's a streamer. Um, you know, it's tough that he plays in Fenway. It is definitely a pitch, a hitter's park, mm -hmm. and uh, it doesn't help that he might not have a great defense behind him. I mean. I, I, I believe Kike Fernandez is their starting shortstop, um, which isn't great. <laughs> um, I think I don't know if he can play shortstop anymore. He hasn't. I feel like he hasn't done it in years. But so that's not great. So the situation isn't great behind him. Um, so I would lean streaming. Um, I think in in fifteen teamers. I think um, and make. I want to make sure I'm like. Is that correct? Is that a thing? Fifteen teamers. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. I, I've heard that, and I wanted to make sure uh, I, I'm still like kind of a baby when it comes to like the fantasy talk but um, <laughs> that uh, I think for 15 teamers that would make sense to, to have him mm -hmm. and um, you know I think pick your spots I think there there are definitely matchups that I would probably sit him like I wouldn't love him against the Atlanta Braves or the Houston Astros, like truly the best offenses. I, mm -hmm. I would probably be careful about that, especially in Fenway. Um, the Blue Jays, I probably would avoid him against. Um, but I think in a league of that size, I think it's totally fine to have him on your roster. I think he can be played in 80% in of his matchups. And, you know, uh, he's already pitched a game. And I don't know if, if you guys wanted me to get into that now, but small sample i'm fairly encouraged by what i've seen um the breaking ball the curveball velocity was a little bit down from spring but i think he was i think he's working in I, i'm not too worried it's one start mm -hmm. and the slider looked really good um he's throwing it um a little bit softer but it's it's been it's been looking a little bit better um and yeah and so or a little bit harder excuse me um and so um i think you know i'd 
I waited out. I thought he had a decent start in his first game. He left a few pitches over the middle. Um, he had an unearned run there, I believe, but he did allow two home runs. So I don't know. I want to I want to believe it, and I want to say in, in large leagues like that that you can have him. I personally play in a 10-person league. Like I, like I said, my friends are crappy when it comes to fantasy baseball. Um, <laughs> so he is not on a roster right now in my league. Um, actually, wait, no, he is on a roster. Someone picked him up um, at my suggestion. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, depending on the size of your league, um, I think he's a streamer in, in a 10 or 12. I think in 15 teams, I think he is worth, um, worth a spot in your roster. Yeah, I yeah, currently no. have him rostered in a 15-team league, and also he's a good option for AL-only leagues as well, of course, and deeper leagues, of course, in that nature as well. But he's someone that I personally love just because he helped me win a championship in 2021. Now, he wasn't good in 2021, but he had like a three-week stretch where he was dominant, and that really helped me. So big Nick Pavetta oh, yeah. fan. I love him. That's great. You're one of like no one else who likes him, so I'm, that's nice to hear that. <laughs> I do. I, I really do. He... He's someone that really stepped up, especially in the championship week of 2021 for me. I think he pitched twice. He started a game and then he like closed out a game or was a reliever in one section of that last week. And it helped me win. And I will forever be indebted to Nick Pavetta, which I don't think many people are. But in 10 and 12 team leagues, I agree with you. I think he's more of a streamer type. And then those deeper leagues and AL only leagues, he's definitely more usable. But that kind of transitions us to our next segment, which is our favorite segment around here, but it's going to be a little bit different. It's Would You Rather. Now, usually we pin up, let's say, one player against a few others that were taken around that same range in drafts or that have similar archetypes. But for this one, we're going to look at the next few starts among a few waiver wire fringe pitchers, and we'll walk through who we like on our team for those starts. So, do you like, out of these four, I guess how would you rank them? We'll go from... You first, Cam, then John, then myself. How would you rank these four and their next two matchups for what you'd want on your fantasy team? We have Nick Pavetta, who goes up against the Rays and the Angels. We have Yusei Kikuchi, who goes up against the same but inverse, Angels and Rays. We have Domingo Herman, who's against the Orioles and the Twins. And then we have Zach Plesak against the Mariners and the Nationals. So, Cam, how would you rank those one to four, one being the guy you want most and four being the guy you want least? Could I go? Can I pass? Can I can you come back to me? Yeah, absolutely, John. <laughs> if you want to lead us off, go right ahead. Oh man, this is tough. Uh, yeah, it is tough. I like. I want to go with my gut and just say, Police Act One, Herman Two, Uh-oh. Pavetta Three, Kikuchi Four. Um, <laughs> I don't trust UC Kikuchi at all. I don't care how good he's looked. Like. I, I just don't trust him. Um, Plesak, I only trust him because he's like a quality start machine. Um, it's not a pretty quality start, but it's a quality start machine sometimes. Um, and, oh man, Herman too feels wrong because he goes up against Minnesota <laughs> and it just feels so hittable, especially Herman at home against Minnesota. Like That just feels like a wrong pick. Um Oh, man. Uh, you know what? I'm going to switch. I'm going to go Plesak 1, Pavetta 2, Herman 3, Kikuchi 4. Okay. I think that's my I think that's my pick, mainly because Plesak has, like, some decent matchups. Like, Seattle's decent, but they're not, like, world beaters just yet. And obviously, the start against Washington, like, that's just that's just the best start out of all these four. Um, 
Pavetta, I think, could could you know turn something around against against the Rays and the Angels. Herman, I like because of the Baltimore start, but the Minnesota one is scary. And then again, Kikuchi, I just don't trust him at all. So that's where I'm going to go. So for me, I was originally the inverse of your first list, John, like the complete oh, okay. opposite. <laughs> so I have, I have no faith whatsoever in Zach Plesak. Oh, I don't want yeah. <laughs> any business with him at all. Obviously, if you just yeah. look at this list subjectively and you say, what's the best start? If you could just pick one of these starts, like Zach Plesak against the Nationals is probably the best, but I guarantee yes. you he just gets rocked in that. And then <laughs> Domingo Herman's both of his matchups are pretty good since he's at Baltimore, which is now more of a pitcher park, and then yep. against the Twins, but it's, I don't know, it's at home, so it's kind of tough. But And the Twins are awesome offensively right now, too. So. Yeah. That I'm kind of scared of, but yeah, my list is actually going to go Kikuchi 1. I just like the changes he made. I think he's probably, they're all probably going to get lit up. Let's just be real here. Uh, so <laughs> let's let's not fabricate anything. They're all probably going to get lit up. But if I had to pick my favorites, it would probably go Kikuchi, Pavetta, Herman, Plesak. And if you're going the, the appropriate list of like best matchups, it would probably go Herman, Plesak, Kikuchi, Pavetta. But my personal list is Kikuchi, Pavetta, Herman, Plesak. I want nothing to do with Zach Plesak. Uh, I I'm totally there with you. It's just the yeah. I mean, the Seattle start maybe is a little scary, especially because yeah. like uh, his start against Oakland was horrendous. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not like the guarantees him anything for that Washington start either. But I, I don't know. Sometimes I just roll with Guardians pitchers because they they find out a way. Yeah, there's something in the water in Cleveland. But Cam, Clearly. have you arrived on your list order yet? Um, I think for the brand and for the culture, I kind of have to go Pavetta one. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, I I will say, um, Plesak didn't he give up like he pitched one inning? I'm. Oh, it was him? terrible. It Plesak was six stinks. runs. It was Plesak's six hard runs. Yeah. <laughs> Like I don't oh, even actually God. looking back, I don't even know why I haven't won. But you know, it's just <laughs> yeah, he was he was A's? really hot garbage against uh, the, yes the A's yeah it was, yeah oh, yeah. Jesus. Out of these right. four, I would put Plesak fifth if that was my option. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I I would rather take nobody. I'd rather take a blank in my pitching category than put Plesak on the mound. Stay tuned for my streamer picks because I'm sure they're going to be great. <laughs> oh God. Okay, Plesak, I'll definitely put last. Um, Herman didn't look great. Um, but I don't, uh, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go Herman three, um, just cause his stuff didn't look great, um, in his first appearance. Yep. Well, yep. I, I think Pavetta and Kikuchi posted like pretty good stuff numbers, um, in their first start. And I'm, I'm going to ride with the, with the stuff, um, stickiness here and, and, and rolled that, and then I guess it's it's kind of a toss up, you know, Pavetta for the brand. I can't have to go Pavetta I, again. <laughs> I also like you said, I'm not. I don't like really trust Yusei Kikuchi. Yeah. Um, uh, what did he pitch? His first start was versus the Royals. Uh, yes, it was against yes, the, Royals, the Royals, and he didn't five get innings. many strikeouts, but he pitched well. Yeah, five innings, okay. two Ks, one earned run. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll go Kikuchi. I would actually, bias aside, go Kikuchi two better one because all of the the teams are the same. Playing in Anaheim versus playing in Tampa, 
uh, as in like those are the road matchups. So Pavetta yeah. will have Angels in Fenway, which is not good, but uh, and then Rays in Tampa, which is I mean is a pitcher's park, but it's one star. So point being, I think I would go Pavetta just because I really did see some things I liked, and um, he's a better bet to go longer, no doubt. I, yep. I, Kikuchi is a guy that I don't trust going through the lineup three times. Uh, let, let alone two, really. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go, yeah, I'll, I'll go Pavetta one, Kikuchi. It's actually the exact order of the of how you guys uh, put this out here. Yeah, it's yeah, Pavetta, yeah. Kikuchi, Ramon, Plesak, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I like that. I, yeah, uh, you know, congratulations to all the Plesak managers because, um, yeah, apparently he's terrible. So <laughs> he's I mean, now going to be good because we've jinxed him. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know if we jinxed him or double jinxed him. I'm kind of curious to see what happened here because we said he yeah. was bad and I said he'd probably be good against. I don't know. I just think we quadruple jinxed this guy. And yeah. I don't know. He's kind of for- forgot about that six third run blow up. Granted, it was just like a couple of days ago, so I really shouldn't have forgotten. About Even it, if but... you gave me this list last year, I would have put Plesak last, or whenever <laughs> he was good, I would have put him last. I don't know. I just don't. I'm not a Zach Plesak guy. But, yeah, but hey, I like that list. Guy. Yeah, not a fan of his. His velo's a little bit down, and it's early. But I don't know. I was not a fan. I, I not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's. A struggle, but Nick Pavetta has some promise. He's probably going to get the most K's out of this list as well, if I had to put that aside. If you just want some strikeouts or you just want innings, like you said, he'll probably go the longest out of all four of these options. So Pavetta, I think, is a good option against those guys. But that wraps up our interview. Cam, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Is there anywhere that people can follow you at, or do you have any upcoming work that you're excited about that's coming out soon? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter um, at levy underscore cameron um i try not to tweet a ton i try to keep it into the articles um but in terms of work that i'm thinking about um i'm in between a few different things i want to write about next um i might be doing some research on a new metric that i'm trying to test out um similar to uh, weighted earned strikes that um jordan jordan made okay Uh, it very well could be absolutely nothing, and I will have done all this work for nothing, but I might try that out. I might try, uh, you know, maybe do a quick article on, on, a, on a player that I'm um, crushing on. Um, and Hopefully yeah, it's just, not Zach Plesak. No, it won't be him. <laughs> it will not be him. Um, he's done nothing to interest me at all in his one <laughs> inning of work this season. Yeah, the one inning of work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we'll see. But, um, yeah, you can follow me there. And, uh, and yeah, happy to interact with anyone. If Any questions or anything like that? That's fantastic. Well, Cam, thank you for your time again. We're happy we were able to talk to you. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right. Now we're moving on to streamers for next week. John, who do you have for us for the first streaming section of the season? Yeah, uh, for those who regularly listen to our pod, thank you. Uh, you'll notice that the streaming section is a little bit different this season. I'm kind of shifting more towards streamers for the week as opposed to streamers for the next three days just because, I don't know, it just wasn't really helpful to figure out who to stream on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. You, I like you probably want to know you know, who to stream later in the week. So uh, that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to start with Matt Strom of the Phillies. He goes against Miami on Monday. He's 1% roster at Yahoo, 0% roster at ESPN, so he should be available. He tossed four shutout innings against the Yankees, struck out three batters. Not anything necessarily to write home about, but the Phillies are starting him against the Marlins again. 
assuming he's stretched out to 70 plus pitches, he might be able to return a win for your teams. So he only needs to get to five innings to do that. Um, and there's a good chance that the Phillies bats will be better than the Miami bats. Uh, Jared Schuster of Atlanta goes against uh, the Royals on Friday. He's 25% roster Yahoo, 8% roster on ESPN. He didn't have a great outing against Washington uh, as he gave up four runs in the first inning, but he settled down and threw 3.2 scoreless innings afterwards. There's decent stuff in his profile. Kansas City is the scariest threat. Uh, I think there's definitely a chance here for this to return a win. Uh, you know, he it might not return strikeouts, but, you know, I think he showed that he's at least capable of settling down and, and throwing um, for a few good innings. Graham Ashcraft gets the Phillies on Sunday and Friday. Uh, 69% roster Yahoo, 18% on ESPN. Uh, one of these starts is at Great American Small Park, um, and it's not like the Phillies bats couldn't come alive all of a sudden, as I mentioned with the Matt Strom start. But Ashraf did pitch seven innings, uh, striking out six against the Pirates in his first start. If he keeps the same usage on his slider, we could be in for another good outing from Ashcraft. Uh, the main thing here, I guess, is you know if you don't want him for that start in Cincinnati, you just pick him up for the start against Philly. Um, in Philadelphia, and then you just drop him. So uh, that that might be the solution here. Um, and then uh, Bryce Elder, also of Atlanta, um, is going against Cincinnati on Monday, and then the Royals on Sunday. Four uh, percent rostered in Yahoo, one percent rostered in ESPN. Elder just threw a gem against St. Louis on Wednesday. He went six innings with six Ks, thirty percent CSW. Uh, relied on his slider. He threw it forty-three percent of the time. Got six whips. That solution can certainly work in a two-star week against Cincy at home and then at the Royals. Elder might not be a guy who you can keep on your roster long-term, but it's certainly hard to find a better early-season pickup than Elder, especially if you're in a weekly league. Yeah, these are all great options, and I like that we're changing it from just streamers for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which that does help, and people, I guess, later on in the season... Maybe if you're in a head-to-head league, you might need that Friday, Saturday, Sunday recommendation to win a week or something. But I really like just, hey, these are the best streamer options for the week. Pick and choose at will. And I like Mm -hmm. that kind of move to it. If I had to rank these guys, first of all, Graham Ashcraft should just be rostered, everybody. I agree. The fact that he's 18% rostered on ESPN is baffling. He's 69% on Yahoo. I think he was like 35% rostered on Yahoo before the season started, and now he's up to 69%, which I expect to go up a little bit more going into his next start. Ashcraft's just a good pitcher, and he could outperform Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. I don't think that will be the case, but Ashcraft is very good. And I remember, I think it was last season, he had a really good start, and you recommended him as a streamer. He was like 10% rostered. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you should just roster this guy because he throws a sick cutter, really fast, <laughs> velocity is crazy. And then he stunk like his next three starts, and I was like, man, I'm sorry about that. Ashcraft's good, I promise. <laughs> I just thought he was going to be better. And yep. yeah, hopefully that same thing doesn't happen, but Ashcraft should just be rostered. So if he's out there in any of your leagues, doesn't matter the size, maybe like not eight team leagues, but 10 team or, or deeper, Grab Ashcraft and hold on to him, especially if you're on ESPN because it's most likely he's available. So grab Ashcraft, stream him, keep him. He's going to be good. And then I would rank these Ashcraft, Schuster, Strom, Elder. That's how I would go with that. It's tough. Elder, I might put him over Strom, but I think Ashcraft's the best option, obviously. And then I Mm -hmm. like Schuster. I think, obviously, he didn't have such a great start against the Nationals, but I like his stuff, so I think Schuster could be good. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think these are all good options. I think if you need to stream at any point, once again, it's super early to stream, but 
if you want to take dart throws on any of these guys and hope that this one start might lead into something good for the entire season, then mm-hmm. these are the guys that you should throw that dart at. Yeah, I think it's the perfect time to throw a dart at Ashcraft if you have available. Yeah. Um, because he is going to be on that roster for the, re- the remainder of the season, as far as we know. Um, you know, Elder and Schuster, both their jobs are a little bit suspect, um, along with Dylan Dodd as well on that team. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and Strom for sure is a guy who could be easily sent down to AAA. But, yeah, I think Ashcraft is the one guy where if you really want to you know, be able to build your your – rotation early in the season with guys that are you know have have some promise um ashcraft is one of those guys who i would definitely recommend and the only reason he's on these lists is because he's 80 percent roster at espn otherwise we wouldn't be able to readily recommend him as a streamer right yeah exactly the 69 percent on yahoo is obviously too high for our streamer credentials but 18 percent on espn he qualifies so we have to talk about him especially because if he's out there in your yahoo leagues even grab him just grab him it's a psa almost that hey graham ashcraft's good and you should roster him because He should not be out on your wire. But that's going to wrap things up for this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. It's the first technical back-to-regular scheduling episode of this show. So hopefully the regular scheduling looks good to you guys. And if you have any suggestions for us, please make sure you tweet us at ThisWeekPL. Give us a follow as well. Or send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKuh. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And myself on Twitter at Regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcherless Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcherless Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcherless Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Smart Toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness, sculptural forms, intuitive technology, and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing, heated seats, and warm air dryers. For peace of mind and convenience, there are touchless lids, seats, flush, and a self-sanitizing bidet wand. Now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com slash Smart Toilets and discover what you've been missing. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.